sourcing at the end of the day is this multivariable matching process. You need to know both sides of the equation to be effective at that. And I think that us having this very technical sourcing lens to be able to really know what that part needs to be manufactured well. And then secondly, knowing who in our supply base does something well, really gave us a, a really strong competitive edge. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. As many of you listening may know, I'm a marketing and sales guy. So naturally, when I think about procurement, I think of that person who swoops in at the end of the sale and eats up all the margin without any knowledge of the long consultative marketing and sales process that I just went through. But I'm also just stereotyping here, and frankly, that's not really fair. Now, my guest today has a very different perspective on how we need to be thinking about procurement in the manufacturing sector, and he is on a mission to make that buying role one that's incredibly strategic and even exciting. Let me introduce him. Rob Pakalski has spent his career in advanced manufacturing supply chain. He worked at SpaceX for several years, leading supply chain for a variety of products, including the spacesuit. Falcon 9, and Falcon Heavy Rocket Thrust Structures, and structural components on the first Crew Dragon spacecraft. After SpaceX, Rob spent a few years leading the global supply chain department at Virgin Hyperloop. He then teamed up with former SpaceX supply chain colleagues to start Datum Source, where he serves as co-founder and CEO. Datum has a consulting division, which helps several rocket spacecraft defense robotics and medical device companies build a supply chain and source hardware. Datum is also building a software product, which is mapping out the capabilities of all advanced manufacturing contract manufacturers and uses advanced tools to help part buyers locate and distribute RFQs to the best suited suppliers. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Well, Rob, we had a, a small world moment when we first connected and we realized we both not only had roots in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but that we actually went to the same high school. So yeah. that was kind of funny. To, I mean, awesome to see that. Wasn't the reason we connected, but we kind of realized <laughs> it after the fact. So yeah, yeah, it's it's very rare I get to run into that. I've been in California my whole professional life. So it's fun when I uh, get to run across someone who went to the same high school. It's awesome. Well, if there's any other Marquette Hilltoppers listening right now, I'll give you give you a shout out too. But uh, <laughs> yep, <laughs> very good. Well, Rob, I think sometimes the word procurement makes people shiver a little bit, especially those of us doing marketing and sales in our respective organizations, because the perception is that 
procurement doesn't really care about finding the right solution sometimes, but they just want you to get me what I need cheaper and faster than the other guy. And, you know, although it's a stereotype and maybe it's true in very commodity driven environments that this is how you win. I think a lot of the manufacturing folks who listen to this show are operating in heavy engineering driven environments. They're selling bigger ticket custom products, often CapEx equipment through long sales cycles. And what they sell can't just be about a race to the bottom on price. Right. Now, I know your experiences have given you a different perspective entirely about procurement as being a very highly strategic role. And I'd love for you to start things out by just sort of telling us how your own experiences have shaped your thinking on this subject. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, the first thing I always like to remind people when even just talking about supply chain in general, right, the kind of more encompassing term and procurement being a sector of that is that supply chain is a fairly new term in the business landscape, right? It came around in like the mid 1980s. And so I think that since then, for the far, far majority of companies, roles in supply chain and specifically procurement, as you mentioned, have often just been this kind of administrative role. It's really just kind of button pushing and not really having much strategic items on their plate. And I think that that is a big mistake that companies make. And I have been fortunate to see it done another way where procurement has been really empowered within an organization. I've been able to see that success. So yeah, starting at, you know, at SpaceX, I think that they did a, a phenomenal job at this and they continue to do it. All three of us co-founders at, at, at Datum came from SpaceX. So we had some great shared experiences being able to witness this, but SpaceX's business model was, was uh, entirely dependent on us building rockets and spacecraft significantly faster and significantly cheaper from competitors. Um, and so doing that was, it was a really dynamic effort. And I always like to say that 100%, the, the most credit needs to be given to the best engineers in the world who work at SpaceX. But procurement had a lot of wins in there that I think are, are good to recognize and specifically how we organize the, the entire company to really empower procurement to, to do well. So I think the first thing with that is that when you engage, when you allow a procurement to engage very early on in the design process, that's very helpful. What we were doing as, as new product introduction buyers is we were involved in an engineering design from essentially when it was a napkin sketch, right? I went to every preliminary design review for, for parts that I was in charge of the supply chain for, which I think is, is fairly unique. And I think that people are, are often familiar with the phrase design for manufacturability. Some debate there if, if supply chain can often be helpful with that one. I get that. Uh, but where I think that supply chain is, is very helpful in that process is what I like to call design for supply chain, All right? So we were often in those meetings being able to help design engineers determine, you know, if I make this part this big versus that big and it's five axis, you know, how constricted did I just make the supply chain? If I use that material over another, what is that going to mean for as far as how fast I can get it, you know, the lead times on it, et cetera. I think often design engineers design and then throw it to procurement. And then you have find out later down the road, you have all these constraints. So I think that empowering them early on in the process is something that is is really, really important and, and not enough companies do. And, and I think that, you know, one other part to, to really mention with that, what we did at SpaceX that was really effective. And I think how we were able to do so much better than our, our competitors, frankly, um, we didn't have a lens of really just focusing on just contracts and commercial terms and PO distribution. We spent a lot of our day looking at the parts we were actually sourcing, really reading through the blueprints, the CAD files, really understanding these parts, collaborating with engineers to see how those parts were manufactured. And then we were obsessed with knowing all of our suppliers and, and knowing 
what they're actually capable of doing based on their equipment, the processes they do. Um, sourcing at the end of the day is this multivariable matching process. You need to know both sides of the equation to be effective at that. And I think that us having this very technical sourcing lens to be able to really know what that part needs to be manufactured well. And then secondly, knowing who in our supply base does something well, really gave us a, a really strong competitive edge and, and allowed us to source parts in two to four weeks for less cost than our competitors who were sourcing them in for you know six to eight months for significantly more cost. It really was that dramatic, which I think you know you can see as evidence in the market of how much faster and cheaper SpaceX has built product. So I think that uh, I've been able to see the value of really empowering procurement and it, it, it truly, truly is valuable. Yeah, you, you made an interesting comment when we were talking last, you said procurement managers don't need to be engineers, but they do really need to understand very well how things are made. And I, I can see from what you're talking about here, why that's so important. Yeah. The, the best way I think to, to really, you know, answer that question is to first look at the first principles of really buying anything. Right. I always like to say that you're not going to be effective at buying something if, if you don't know what you're buying. Sounds obvious, but you know, if you take a very basic example where if one of your family members came to you tomorrow and let's say that they know nothing about cars and they said, I'm going to go and buy a car tomorrow. That would probably, I would imagine, trigger some alarm bells. There is a very high risk of that person, even if they know finance really well, they know contracts, they know credit, all these things very well. There is a very, very high risk that they leave the dealership tomorrow getting either ripped off or not getting the car that was actually best suited for them, right? And the same thing goes with any types of procurement, but certainly within you know my line of work with you know part part procurement, right? Where you're where you're looking at individual components. What you're really buying is who's going to be the best manufacturer for this, right? So it's the ability to understand how the part is made first so you know what you got to be looking for. So I think that it's a, it's a multifold thing of making sure that people in the roles for, you know, buying man, custom manufactured components have a strong interest in manufacturing engineering and that they have the right tools and technology to be able to really run that analysis. And, and to your point, yeah, they, they don't have to be engineers. They're not running a stress analysis. They're not designing the parts from CAD, but that manufacturing engineering piece is, is very, very important. Otherwise, they don't know what they're buying and they're either going to get ripped off or not choose the best option. Yeah, well said. So Rob, you, we were talking about how you know so many manufacturers run their supply chain on tribal knowledge, but yeah. that this is a really dangerous game to play. Can you talk about why? Yeah, I mean, I, I see this all day long. You know, we, we have you know, the luxury of working with a lot of different companies across a lot of different industries, and almost all of them still are, are so reliant, I think, on, on tribal knowledge. And that's really one of the main things we're, we're hoping to change. Um, what I mean by that with tribal knowledge is, you know, you're, you're typically building a supply base and sourcing individual components based off of what's in the engineers or the procurement personnel's head right? What experiences they've had and things. And that is one variable. I'm not saying you get rid of that entirely. I think that that, that can be a, a nice edge you can have as a buyer or an engineer. Um, but building the entire process completely reliant on that, that's where I, I really see a lot of problems. It's really twofold of, of why. The first is that's just a terrible process to buy something, right? I think that, you know, just relying on someone's memory to assess a lot of variables in every sourcing process you have to remember, especially in manufacturing, the, the supply base is so incredibly fragmented, right? If you look at just CNC machining as an example, 85% of those companies in the US are less than 30 people. And even though it's a $45 billion industry, not one has more than 5% market share. What that means is you're working with 
I mean, at, at least dozens in SpaceX's case, hundreds or thousands of these mom and pop job shops. They all have 30 or so pieces of equipment. And, you know, it's it's unreasonable to expect somebody can memorize all the equipment and commercial standing of each of those suppliers, plus the specifications of each of those equipment, right? So it gets to be this game of it's not a logical way to source parts. And, and there should be some, you know, some technology, some tools involved to, to do something in, in a, a much more effective way. The second part of this is that I've seen companies get burned on this time and time again is with related to employee churn, right? So uh, oftentimes you have, you know, one person in your supply chain or, or procurement department who's in charge of procurement for an, uh, a category or, or maybe even everything in the company. And that person likely isn't going to work at that company for their entire career. It's just the obvious fact we all know. They're there for a year or two. They develop all these strategies in their head. They have all these relationships they do over the phone or email. And then one day they decide to leave. Two weeks later, they're gone. And then you're expected to carry on your procurement operations. There's no you know, history of, of the communications there. There's no kind of documented strategies. And so what happens is then you have to almost rewrite your procurement strategy because you had this single point of failure. And I've watched companies lose millions and millions of dollars time and time again, uh, making this one mistake. So it's very important to, you know, use tribal knowledge to some advantage, but to really make sure you're using the right technologies, recording systems, things like that to, to prevent those problems. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you talk about this on the procurement end of a manufacturer's business because, you know, I'm, I'm a marketing and sales guy, right? And I see the yeah. same dang thing happen on the marketing and sales side where you have companies operating with whiteboards and, you know, post-it notes as their CRM where they're tracking right. all their customer data. And then, yeah, the their VP of sales walks out the door and takes a job that pays 50 grand more a year or something and, yep. and, yeah. and it's all gone, right? And it's just... You know, we're in we're in an era now where this stuff needs to be digitized on yeah. on all in all parts of your business. So yeah, I think that's a perfect analogy. I mean, I think yeah, yeah sales is is really such a similar thing, right? It's mm-hmm. it's the same system there, right? Like that that salesperson, you know, I, I get that that's kind of their own, you know, IP call it. I, I hear people refer to that a lot of kind of you know who the customers are, and I think that that's great, and they should use that as leverage to keep getting more and more jobs because there is a relationship factor to the procurement business, just like there is with sales, but. For you know you as kind of the the company standpoint, it, it's really important to be responsible with you know what that person was doing while you're employing them and, and making sure that you're recording things so that when they leave, things can carry on and continue to improve versus taking this huge dip and then having to recover from it. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. Peyton and Mary, take it away. Yes. So I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Mary Keo. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50 plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations. We meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network, and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic. And one of our team members at Gorilla76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to get better at a manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content, and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value, no cost, 
no strings attached, no product or service pitches, just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. Oh, and on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where our attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together all week long between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there. Rob, there's been a very clear shift in the supply versus demand dynamic over the past few years, you know, partially result of COVID. Some of this was already going on with labor issues going on. But in the past, suppliers needed to demonstrate to customers that they needed to be good suppliers or supply partners, right? right? And, And then I think there's this power shift going on during a time where supply chain and labor issues are affecting everybody. And now in a lot of cases, it's maybe it's more the customer needing to demonstrate to suppliers that they can be good customers, right? I, we talked a little bit about this last time. So I'd, I'd like to hear your perspective on it. I'd say the the suppliers at the moment have the upper hand in the relationship between the two. I think it's been that way for maybe two years or so, maybe a little bit more. I'm certainly not saying it's always going to be that way because throughout my career, I've, I've seen that paradigm shift quite a few times. This one is, is, is really unique, though. I, I will definitely say that. Typically, you see, you know, a paradigm shift between, you know, who has the upper hand based on some, you know, political factors, geopolitical, whatever it might be, right? You see it a lot in like, you see it in oil and gas industry often or firearms, things like that. And people who are suppliers who put a lot of eggs in one basket in that industry and then have to kind of move over to try to find another one and scramble. In those cases, buyers, you know, kind of have that upper hand. Right now, it is not the case. It is in part because of the labor shortages, for sure. I also think, though, that one thing that kind of gets missed in that equation is also because suppliers just have so many more options right now. It used to be if you're a job shop manufacturer, for the most part, there was, you know, especially in my world and kind of the aerospace defense world, you had, you know, a few legacy players that all were, you know, funded by government programs and you built parts for for those companies. And that was kind of the, the nature of the business. Now you have this very large ecosystem of hardware companies. You have several, several rocket companies, several spacecraft companies, so many medical device, robotics, construction, you name it, right? And then there's a lot of industries now that are trying to use that advanced precision, you know, industrial base also for their for their product as well. So it's really interesting to see. And, and I think it's led to players really having that upper hand. And I think that if you look at the data, it is a little bit frightening that most of the owners are are fairly old and, and there isn't much indication that the younger generation is is taking over. So it might be this way for quite some time because you mix all of that with the amount of reshoring that's coming back, right? So kind of a wild time, but I think that to your question of how do you manage that, right? If, if you're on the buy side and you're competing for capacity at your favorite suppliers because reminder you know these are these are most mostly small businesses right they don't have unlimited capacity and they're very challenging businesses to grow because they're so capital intensive right so when you when you look at what you can do to be better i think the main mistake i see people make is they aren't very reasonable in their approach in that they send a request for quote to a supplier they ask them to you know build a certain amount of something need it need it at this time send a purchase order. And then all of a sudden after the order's out, they start saying, hey, I need an update on the part. 
twice a week. I need a photo once a week. And they have all these requests. And the supplier didn't, they didn't quote expecting that. In a lot of ways, I'm sure you, know, you experienced this a lot. It's basically scope creep, right? You're asking them to do more than, than what was agreed upon. So I think that companies on the buy side to develop a really good relationship, it's just very important to be upfront about what the expectations are and to really clearly define that so that the supplier can price that in. And then if they're not doing it, you also have a lot more leverage versus you know, the, the other side of that coin of getting angry at them for something you didn't ask for upfront, right? So I think that's the big thing. I think the fun one to share, because it's been a really interesting thing for me to learn the past two years, just how valuable it is is you know suppliers in, in their payment terms we and not not to plug datum because this is still an early day product we have but we're really trying to address this problem of being an early pay provider for suppliers right you have these conflicting interests between buyers and suppliers with payment terms where as a supplier's point you're asking them to build something that does cost a lot of money up front it takes a while to build and then they turn it in, hand it in, everything's good. Then they got to wait at best 30. Typically, we see 60 or 90 days before they're paid, right? And that's common business practice. I'm not saying you as a buyer should shift that. But I do think that a lot of companies right now are looking to actually extend those payment terms even further, especially a lot of the venture-backed hardware companies that are trying to extend their runways. And that's fine. I think you have to do that at some point. But you really have to be cognizant of what you're doing when you're doing that. And I don't think it's as easy as saying, hey, we're moving our terms from net 60 to net 90 or net 30 to net 60 and deal with it. That's not a good approach. Suppliers, we have found from all the ones we've surveyed and, and work with that payment terms is one of the main things that's in their decision point between working with one customer over another. So, you know, in our case, we're trying to be kind of this third party partner to, to do kind of reverse factoring to allow her to get paid immediately. And then the, you know, at a, at a discount and then the buyer pays us the full amount. So we just have a little, little, little spread there that we get. The good thing about this is that, you know, buyers can, can continue to push their payment terms out or keep them where they're at, but their suppliers get capital earlier, which means that they can invest in additional real estate, additional machines, more, more employees, things like that. That's going to allow them to keep having more capacity. So very important to be a good customer, to care about your suppliers getting paid. I think it's so overlooked and it's very damaging. Rob, we were recently talking about how engineers are the types who need to know where everything's at, at a given point of a project. And you mentioned that, you know, the simple things like showing progress photos throughout a project can make them feel so much more comfortable. What tips can you offer about how to better interact with OEMs as a supplier? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I think that, you know, the, the best lens I always tell suppliers to look at here is to um, always remember that it, it's a it's a great idea to think about your your customer, which is typically the procurement person, as well as the responsible engineer, who hopefully they have some exposure to in the process as well. If you can do little things to make them look good within their internal organization, the reality is you're going to have a high preference of, of being someone that they like to work with, which means you don't have to be the cheapest or the fastest every single time. So the little things to do there, I think, are to show product you know, photos in WIP. I think sub 1% of suppliers I work with are very proactive in actually doing that and providing updates versus being reactive and, and waiting for us to ask for them. I know that that probably sounds obvious, but unfortunately, just suppliers don't really do that. And I don't think you have to do anything super pretty. I think that you just have to 
again, just be proactive and send those photos because what's actually happening there is that the engineer and procurement person are both going to their weekly meetings to discuss among their peers their parts that are out, you know, being outsourced, right? It's not like you submit a purchase order and then you just forget about it and hope it comes. That's that's not the game that goes on inside a, a company. They're very much so talking about the parts that are coming, making a lot of plans around what's going to happen when they do. So if they can come into their meeting among their peers and show a bunch of, you know, pictures of the parts as well as, um, you know, status updates about them, you know, I don't have a picture because this thing's at post-processing right now or heat treat or they're still programming it, but I think it's still going to be okay because they sent me their whole plan through their ERP, whatever it is, that's very helpful for them to look good. If they look good, next part comes around their top supplier they're going to want is, is going to be you, right? So the way to, I think, execute on that as a supplier is to use it as kind of an opportunity to get someone as like, you know, the entry level position in the shop um, to start their career, to really go around machines, take photos, develop a process of, of giving proactive updates. I think it's it's 100% the best thing you can do. And I, frankly, I don't think it's that much of a lift for companies. I, I think it's it's a very possible thing to any company of any size to do. Rob, you told me on our last call that you want procurement to be something that people are proud to do. And that's not necessarily the case in a lot of places right now. What needs to change for that to happen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, fortunately you get to see some, some folks like, you know, myself and, and the people I'm, I'm lucky to work with that we're, we're very passionate and proud about what we do, but yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to my, my first statement, right. That I'm also very self-aware that a lot of folks in, procurement are still very administrative. I think it's very hard to get a lot of pride in a career if, if you're not allowing people to be strategic about what they're doing, right? And, and I think that um, making the role strategic is really heavily contingent upon the company really focusing on, on allowing it to be, right? And that doesn't mean you know, just sending an email saying, you know, procurement is strategic and look, we hired these fancy Wharton MBAs and that should say enough, right? It's it's genuinely, you know, organizing everything around this structure of let's develop a new product introduction procurement team and then maybe a late stage team. Let's make sure this new product team is very embedded with designs that they have a lot on their shoulders that they have to do to, to be able to be effective. And if you if you put that accountability on them, I think you're going to have people who are strategic and, and, and very prideful. I think what I see happens a lot in a system I don't, I don't personally like much at all is a lot of companies have procurement kind of seen as being a, or, or engineering is, is kind of the customer of procurement, right? And I, I don't think that, you know, it's good to just have procurement kind of serving engineering, right? I, I mean, typically, right, they're, they're much more engineering or, you know, a lot more educated and everything like that. I, I understand that. And they're much more technical in what they're doing. But you need to have people working in, in parallel path, I think, and, and kind of elevate them on, on similar trajectories and just have high accountabilities. That's a very challenging thing to do. It means you need to have strong people in procurement. You need to hire the right people to if you're going to give away that accountability. And it also needs means that you need to give people in procurement the right tools to, to do their job well. You can't just hire smart people and give them a cell phone and a laptop with email and then expect them to just go and build everything, right? Now you're talking about the tribal knowledge game. You're talking about not having a lot of pride in what you do. I think... If you look at a lot of careers of people where 
people are very prideful about it, right? They like to show off what they're doing. I think marketing is very good at this. I think, you know, stock traders, things like that, they're very good at this. Engineers as well. They have a lot of tools that allows them to do their job and be strategic about it. And until procurement folks have those tools and, and ways of, you know, knowing how to operate those tools and kind of have their own style, then I don't think it it it, it can be seen as kind of a prideful career until people have that. And there's a lot of value in providing those tools, making your organization kind of um, be compatible with procurement. You'll get a lot of value in, in, in producing those kind of prideful folks in your org. I really, I really like your perspective on it. Cool. Is there anything I did not ask you about today, Rob, that you'd like to touch on? I just want to make sure it's, you know, like within the component sourcing landscape, but, you know, kind of our world, I think that there is a really important bridge that we have to cross. And that's allowing the non-technical buyers to have some of that technical skill set. And I know I talked about it a bit saying that, you know, they don't have to be engineers, but they have to be, you know, interested in, in our case, manufacturing engineering and, and, and certainly have some skill set in that. But I think what's important to note is that that is not an overnight thing that you can achieve, right? I always say that there's a few strategies to get there. You could take a young 20-something kid and throw them on the engineering floor at SpaceX and have them make a lot of mistakes for a few years. That was my path. And I think that you can you can replicate that if you'd like, but I know firsthand that it was it was quite expensive. I think the better lesson here is to really start figuring out what are good training programs and and, and what are really strong technologies that can help supplement a buyer so that they can become technical very quickly. But it it is a process of having some patience with it, but also using technology as best we can and and to stop being so tribal knowledge and, you know, making procurement like they're 90 stockbrokers just on the phone all day. I think that that, that'll be the, the big cultural shift that has to happen. Rob, this is a really good conversation. Can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and where they can learn more about Datum? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the best way to kind of learn more about Datum is just go on www.datumsource.com. Datum is D-A-T-U-M. And you can contact me anytime. My email is rob at datumsource.com. I love connecting with both shop owners and you know procurement folks. We work with any suppliers that are within the advanced manufacturing realm, that's the world that that I know and love. And, and I love any type of OEM that requires that type of supply chain. And it's been really cool to see the types of industries that have kind of started to really use that high precision supply chain. So yeah, I'd say that's the best way to get in contact with me is, is through email or checking out our site. Beautiful. Well, Rob, thanks for doing this today. Yeah. Thanks so much for spending the time and I love the pod. So thanks so much for everything you do. You bet. And you're, you're my last podcast recording here before heading up to our homeland in Milwaukee for uh, Thanksgiving. So while you're staying warm in California, I guess I'll be, you know, freezing, freezing my butt off up in Wisconsin. <laughs> but, you know, we, well, we know what that's like. <laughs> I do, but I am jealous. I love Wisconsin. It's the best. So <laughs> go pack. They're struggling, but go pack and fear the deer and everything. I love, love Wisconsin. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Good deal. Well, thanks a lot, Rob. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com slash learn. 
Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. 